Our teaching for this evening comes from Psalm 122. This is God's word. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to continue in our series from the book of Psalms. And uh, if you're curious about this or wondering, Psalms is, is a huge book. It's there are 150 of them. And uh, especially maybe if this is your first time, we're not going to do all 150. Uh, we're just doing a small chunk. We're going to do about 15 of them from Psalm 120 to 134. And the reason we're looking at this group of psalms is because they all bear the same title. All of them have the title, A Song of Ascent. And that term, that grouping, those were songs that God's people would have sung as they journeyed three times a year to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the three major feasts of the year that God had commanded them to celebrate in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And these are the songs that they would have sung. And because they sang them on their way to Jerusalem, which was also the highest point uh, in their journey, these songs carry with them a, 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 a sense of, of a metaphor. They, they all are a picture of what, is, what does the life of faith sound like? What does a relationship with God feel like? So these songs, these are not like an owner's manual. Think of these songs more like your journal, where you're not really worried about what you're saying or how you're saying it. You're just saying it. And the words are coming out, and the emotions come with them. That's what these songs are like. That's just... They give us a window into what does it look like to talk to God, to cry out to God, to rest in Him along this journey of faith. And so, <clears throat> we've already looked at Psalm 120, which really was the first, it's the first psalm in this, in this section of psalms, and it's a cry of distress. It's a psalm full of angst and frustration and Grief, And then we looked at Psalm 121, which is a psalm really of confidence, but it begins with a moment of fear. Where does my help come from? And the rest of the psalm answers that question. It pictures someone on the way, facing the difficulties and the challenges of the journey and, be, and having to remember Okay, where really, where does my help really come from in the midst of this? And so we come to Psalm 122 tonight, and this is actually a picture 
of having arrived at the destination, of having arrived in Jerusalem. And if you remember back a couple weeks, one of the things I tried to help us to see at the very beginning was that these 15 psalms, they, they have a repetition, that there are five groups of three, and they all, each of these groups of three share similarities, that the first one in each group is, begins in a distressing situation, followed by a psalm where the, the psalmist is crying out for help, and then the third one describes an experience of being at home with God, in God's presence, safe. And so Psalm 122 is the third of this first group. And while this psalm is definitely removed in time from us, and even the New Testament church that we read about in the the scriptures, uh, there's a lot of overlap here. The practice may have been different. They made the journey three times a year to Jerusalem. But what's similar here is that we can read ourselves into this psalm as a community that enters into God's presence every single week. That we make the same journey, as it were, metaphorically speaking, each week into God's presence. And so... What I want us to to think about this evening, I want to look at this psalm like this together. How do we go to the house of the Lord? Why do we go to the house of the Lord? And then how do we leave the house of the Lord? And the reason that I'm I'm honing in on that phrase, the house of the Lord, is if you look in your worship folder, if you if you didn't have don't have a Bible with you, you'll notice that this phrase, the house of the Lord, frames the whole psalm. In verse 1, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then verse 9, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That everything in this psalm is framed by the house of the Lord, which is simply to say where God is present, where he dwells, where he welcomes his people into his presence to commune with them, to bless them to remind them who he is and who he has been for them. So we're going to look at how we go into the house of the Lord, why we go, and then how do we leave. So first, let's look at how do we go to the house of the Lord. Look here in verse 1. It begins, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, at first you might not notice this, but this is a very basic point, but I did not want to run by it. How we go to the house of the Lord makes all the difference. Because if you look at Psalm 120 and Psalm 121 alone, listen to how it might feel, all right? Psalm 120 begins like this. In my distress, I called, deliver me. Verses 1 and 2 are full of my distress, I called. Please deliver me. Psalm 121 begins like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. If all you had was Psalm 120, 121, you might think that how you go up to the house of the Lord is on your own. 
by yourself in the midst of your distress and desperate need for help alone. But what we see here in the beginning of verse of, of 122, the psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, others of God's people, brothers and sisters, companions, who said to him, let us together go to the house of the Lord. Now, what does that tell you? Well, the very simple point is, we don't go it alone. We could put it like this, that while the journey of faith is deeply personal, which Psalm 120 and 121 help to make very clear at this point, you're never intended to be isolated on your own, navigating this journey, these ups and downs, the fits and starts, the sorrows and the griefs, the joys and the triumphs alone. We go to the house of the Lord together. Now, here's a basic question I want to ask you. Um, How are you attempting, as you sit here this evening, how are you attempting to navigate this journey of faith alone? And that doesn't apply just to people who perhaps... um, are living alone. You can attempt to do this on your own with a full house. And my question to you is, how are you attempting to navigate this journey alone without the help of other people? Whether it be your questions and doubts, perhaps. Uh, Whether it be guilt, or shame from perhaps besetting sin or struggle, whether it be your own struggles and sense of helplessness and fear of letting anyone in. How, how are you attempting to navigate this journey alone? So the first question, how do we go up to the house of the Lord? We don't go alone. God never intended you to to navigate this journey on your own. So if we don't go alone, uh, as verse 1 makes clear, uh, it doesn't, in in, in verse 1, it it, it tells us we don't go alone. But Psalm 121, 120, 121, they paint a pretty bleak picture of this journey, which we've looked at last couple weeks. What can we expect to face along this journey, up to the house of the Lord. They paint a pretty bleak picture. So if that's the picture of distress, a sense of helplessness, of fear, why even do it? Why make this journey? Why is it that we need to go to the house of the Lord? First of all, look here in verses 2 through 5. The reason that we need to go to the house of the Lord is because... We need, to have, we need to have God clear up what the journey distorts. The journey of faith is not straightforward. It's often fraught with um, struggle and even failure, doubts and insecurities. Lies creep in, unbelief creeps in, distrust creeps in. 
Misplaced trust creeps in. Why do we need to go to the house of the Lord? We need help to see things that the journey of faith makes difficult to see. And so what is it that we see when we go to the house of the Lord? Well, look in verse 2 and 3. When we go to the house of the Lord, what we see is a picture of safety. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. Other translations in verse 3 describe Jerusalem as a well-built city. It's a place of refuge and refreshment. And remember, I'll probably say this again before we're done, what makes Jerusalem so special? It isn't just because it's a great city in some sense. The reason Jerusalem here is marveled at is because that's where God's house is. It's where God dwells. And wherever God dwells, that place bears his character. So we go up to the house of the Lord because there is safety there. Another way to put it, remember from Psalm 121 where the psalmist describes the Lord as your keeper. He will keep your life from all evil. Going to the house of the Lord is where that sinks in to the deepest parts of who you are. Not only is it a place of safety, but it's a place of praise. Look in verse 4. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The reason we go up to, up to the house of the Lord is to encounter again the most basic foundational truths that we are so quick to forget along the journey or in the midst of it. The idea, the truths that God created you, that you bear his image, that God redeems, that he actually enters into your life and rescues you. He doesn't just come alongside and give you good advice. He comes in and he does for you what you could never do for yourself. He created you, he redeems you, and he provides for you. That's what the three feasts, the three festivals that God's people were commanded to go celebrate three times a year were meant to communicate to them. They reminded them of the good news, of what God had done and how he had provides for them. And that's really what worship is all about. When we gather together week after week, worship forms you in that. It shapes you. It gives you new desires. It actually helps to reshape how you think and how you feel, what you will to do. Worship is really the practice of developing true and lasting thoughts and feelings about God that persist in and through all of the ups and downs of the journey of faith. So it's a place of safety and a place of praise, but also a place of justice. Look in verse 5. There, that is in Jerusalem, the thrones, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. When David, King David, entered into Jerusalem and brought with him the Ark of the Covenant... 
which is the most important object in the entire Old Testament. The ark symbolized this is where God's presence dwells. And wherever the ark of the covenant was, God blessed. And not only did God, did David bring the ark into Jerusalem, David was God's king. It was through David that God was, that God was going to carry out his justice, his good words, his judgment. And usually, I think when we hear that term judgment, we immediately think of it as a negative, condemning concept. And there is definitely that aspect of it in the Bible. But only because it's first a good thing. That God's judgment is his decisive word that has the power to set everything right. So think about it like this personally. Perhaps you are overwhelmed or constantly plagued with a sense of, I just never seem to change. I'm always doing the same things. I'm, I'm, I'm covered in shame, and no matter what I do, I can't get rid of it. What can set you straight? What the psalmist is saying here, the house of the Lord is a place of judgment where you enter in and you hear from God about what is true about you, about him, and what he has done for you, for his people, to set you straight. So that you could know you're not just... Life is not simply you lost in your own thoughts and your own self-assessment. But there is a word from the outside that speaks a better word to you. A more true word. A more reliable word. And sometimes that word is painful. Sometimes that word is exposing. But here's the thing you have to remember. God is a father. And he's a father who disciplines those he loves. How does he discipline you? He disciplines you with his word. And here's another thing. If God didn't do that, if he didn't sometimes wound you with his word in order to heal you, he wouldn't be treating you like a son or a daughter. He wouldn't be a good, true parent. So we go to the house of the Lord because it's a place of safety, it's a place of praise, and it's a place of justice. And I want to ask you, which of those, as you find yourself tonight, which of those for you is the hardest to see? Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, which of those is hardest for you to see? Is it God's power, his goodness, or his justice? And no matter which one of those is hard for you to see, God doesn't give those to us. We don't come across those in the Bible as just abstract ideas. God wants you to know that that is who he is at the core of his being. So much so 
that he sent his son, who the scriptures say are the exact representation of God himself. If you want to know, what does God's power look like in the flesh? What does his goodness look like in the flesh? What does his justice look like in the flesh? It's in Jesus. So if you find yourself tonight going, I just, I just, I feel lost, I feel alone, I don't feel safe. Look to Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, I just, I just don't know if I can believe that God is really good. There's just so much going on in the world that's terrible. And even if we just look at the natural disasters that are happening, how could God let that happen? How do I know he's really good if that stuff is happening? Look to Jesus. Or what about the inequities that we face? What about the, uh, my, my, looking at my own life and how much of disaster it feels and is? And I don't know how to make sense of that. I need a word from the outside. Look to Jesus. So we go to the house of the Lord to encounter once again this living God who is powerful, who's good, who is just. And he has come near in Jesus. But what about when the psalmist heads back, back home, after this journey up to Jerusalem? Or perhaps if we head out from here into the week ahead, how do we leave the house of the Lord? Let's look here in verses 6 through 9. Very simply, we leave the house of the Lord praying. Listen what he says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Very simply, we leave the house of the Lord praying. Now, why would that be how we leave the house of the Lord? Because worship doesn't satisfy us. It just whets our appetite. Worship is meant to instill in you, to light a fire in you for longings of peace as we read about here and security as we read about here. And what, do we, what does the psalmist have in view here when he talks about praying for peace and for security? Well, first of all, we looked at a couple weeks ago the, the, the idea of peace. It's the Hebrew word shalom. We encountered it in Psalm 120 where the psalmist is for peace, but where he was living, everyone hated it. And peace, this word shalom in the Bible is, it's I always, on the one hand, I always love it when we come across this word, and at the same time, I'm like simultaneously very frustrated <laughs> because it is such a re- rich and deep and profound concept in the scripture that it, it's very hard to do it justice in a short amount of time. But I'll do, I'll try again. Maybe if we keep coming across it, we'll sort of, you know, fill it out over time. But the main idea I want you to, gra- to, to grasp about praying for peace is praying for wholeness. And not your idea of wholeness or my idea of wholeness, but God's idea of wholeness. 
what it means to be a, true, a, a truly human person living in a world that is actually in line with God's design. Put it in an example. What would wholeness look like in your marriage? What would wholeness look like in your interactions with your children? What would wholeness look like in your friendship with your roommate or your employer? Think of it in terms of perfect patience, absolute compassion, total harmony, never misunderstanding, listening thoroughly, understanding completely, never trying to get by, always willing to lay down your interests for the interests of someone else, wanting the very best for that person or that situation. That's just a glimpse of what shalom means. Praying for that. But not only does he say this shalom, he also says security. Now, this is going to be a little tough because when we think of security, I think we immediately think in terms of safety, protection. This term can also mean prosperity. And the root idea in, in the Hebrew word here, really is leisure. <laughs> so I, I got to hang with me here because it's really important. The idea of prosperity here is, is summarized by a writer that puts it like this. The root meaning is leisure. And, and here's what this means. It's the relaxed stance of one who knows that everything is all right because God is over us with us and for us in Jesus Christ. It is the security of being at home in a history that has a cross at its center. If I could borrow from one of the things I tend to say a lot at the beginning of worship, it's being able to exhale. It's knowing that you're okay. It's, I love that phrase, its security is, is, is the security of being at home in a history that has a cross at its center. Is the cross at the center of your history? Does the cross of Jesus bring you rest? Does the cross of Jesus bring you leisure? Because you're no longer having to justify your existence. You're no longer having to run the race in your own effort. You're no longer trying to make this journey on your own. But at the center of your life, in the center of your history, in the center of God's history, is a cross. That's where leisure, security, prosperity comes from. So let me finish with this, this thought here. Uh, you'll notice that there's a ton in this psalm all about the city of Jerusalem. And like I said earlier, the significance of, of, of the city really is because that's where God dwells. But think about this for a moment. Everything about God, his presence and that place bubbles over into that city. So much so that the psalmist now marvels at this place. 
because he discovers there safety and delight, praise, thanksgiving, and justice. And even is spurred on to pursue and to pray for peace and security. Now think about this for a minute. Where is God most present now? The New Testament tells us that God is most present now among his people, in his people, by the Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 describes us, the church, as being built into a holy temple. We're described as the household of God. Now here's what I want you to think about as we come to a close. If God's presence dwells among us, what, that might, what might that mean for our city? If God's character bubbles over into wherever he is and he's present here, that means that we are now part of God's character, his goodness, his power, his justice, bubbling over into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our families, into our city. And that's how I want us to leave the house of the Lord tonight, is praying together about this peace and this security that being with God creates in us and then enables us to pursue together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we continue to look at these psalms together and what you're teaching us, we pray that uh, you would help us to delight in coming into your house, that we would find being present with you the most safe, delightful, uh, clear place we can be. Father, we ask that the good news about Jesus, that you sent him, would sink deeply into our hearts, and that through him, you would persuade us and teach us yet again that you are with us along this journey, and that the the peace and the prosperity that you love, you are committed to bringing about. And we ask that you would help us to listen to you and to follow after you and to serve you to that end. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.